Uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 14 tonight. Mark chapter 14, if you want to turn there. It was so nice to have, uh, when we were standing on Cahill Highway there for a while, having all the people driving by honking and such supportive of just who Jesus is. And that was the goal, right? Just to remind people of this day, what He's done for us. And, and hopefully, from us just standing out there and waving and showing those signs and holding the cross and walking down the street, I, I just hope and pray that that turns somebody back to the Lord and turns somebody to the Lord. Amen. Amen. This is... Uh, this is like probably the most exciting day for me right now is Good Friday. And the reason I say that is because, I mean, I love Christmas. I love you know, celebrating the birth of Jesus. I think that's just amazing. And I love Easter because that's amazing too. And I'm not trying to downplay it at all, but this is the day that really made it all happen. If this day didn't take place, we would be bumming. We would be still in our sins, and we would be on our way to hell. And Jesus, it just blows my mind to think God that created everything would love us so much that he would give his life for us to pay for our sins on the cross that we could have eternal life. The gift of salvation. I mean, when you stop and really think about it, boy, I'll tell you what, we've got something very, very special. Amen? Amen. And so what I want to do tonight is I kind of want to take you all the way back to the garden and then move forward and show you some of the things that happened leading up to the cross and what Jesus went through. You guys, you know that there was that Last Supper and at the end of the Last Supper, they began to head out and they were coming you know, through the, the brook Kidron and coming up into the Mount of Olives and they came to this place called Gethsemane. And in chapter 14, verse 32, we're going to begin, but let's just pray first. Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for our salvation. Thank you for loving us so much. We appreciate it dearly. And we don't take it lightly. And Lord, we want to be your servants all of, our, all of our life, Lord God. We want to be about the Father's business. So, Lord, as we look into what you did for us, Lord, just stir our hearts for you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Amen. Amen. Mark 14, verse 32. You ready? You guys ready? Okay, let's do it. Then they came to the place which was named Gethsemane. Gethsemane is... It means olive press, and the Mount of Olives had all these olive trees, and they come to this area named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he, be he began to be troubled deeply and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. And he went a little further, and he fell on the ground. Now, this is, this is an incredible time right now. 
that he's going through as he heads up. He's he's now readying himself for the cross. He knows this is the week that it's all going down. He's coming up to the Mount of Olives and he's going to go into some deep prayer. And the boys are up there and then he takes Peter, James, and John with him and he starts making his way off to pray to the Father. And all of a sudden, the emotion and just the, the pressure, everything is starting to set in on him and hit him to where he's just he's feeling it deeply and he's passionate about what's going on and and he gets to this place where he just he falls to the ground and when you stop and you think about that our God so emotional about what's to take place to give his life so that you could have life it just overwhelms him to such a place he just falls to the ground And he prayed that if it were possible, that the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In other words, he was saying, he's saying, Father, if there's any other way by which man could be saved, let's do it. But not my will, but thy will be done. That is something that we need to pray after every time we pray. Because sometimes we don't really know what we want. Sometimes we're not sure what we want. And the things we ask for, God knows it's not good for us. And so he he always answers our prayers saying, yes, no, or not now. But always finish your prayer with, not my will, thy will be done. Because he knows what's best. And Jesus is feeling this emotion right now. Because he's about to enter into something he's never done before. He's never died. He's never taken the sin of the world upon him. He's never been separated from the Father. And all of this is going through his heart and his mind. And he falls to the ground and he prays, Abba, if if it's possible, take this cup. But not my will, but thy will be done. And he came And he found all the boys sleeping. And he said, Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch for one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Isn't that true? It's so true. Oh, Lord, I'm going to read five chapters today. Oh, Lord, I'm going to pray for an hour. Oh, it's tough. But I'll tell you what, God loves it when you spend time with him. He loves it when you get in His Word. He loves it when you just want to interact with Him and talk. And so Peter and the boys had fallen asleep and, and again he went and he prayed and he spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer Him. And then he came the third time and he said to them, Arise, you still sleeping and resting. It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And so Jesus prayed this prayer three times. And I want to stress that because here's the reason why. There are people out there that will say, hey, you shouldn't pray for anything more than once. If you pray more than once, then you don't have faith. Well, you should read your Bible. Jesus prayed three times. He prayed over and over. Paul prayed. We're supposed to pray without ceasing. 
And you know what? God's like I said, he's going to say yes to your prayer or no to your prayer or not now. So you just keep praying in the book of Revelation. It says the elders are before the throne with the bowls of the prayers of the saints. That means those bowls are filling up with prayers and maybe you only need one more prayer and it spills out a blessing. So keep praying. Jesus wakes the boys up. He's like, okay, guys, this is it. This is the time. Rise up. It's, it's the time of the hour that I'm going to be portrayed. Rise and let us be going to see. My betrayer is at hand. And in verse 43, it says, And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas was one of the twelve with a great multitude with swords, clubs, came from the chief priests, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now he, his betrayer had given them a signal saying, whomever I kiss, he's the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and he said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. He betrayed him with a kiss. He came with this whole mob. It says, then they laid their hands on him and they took him and, and one of those that stood by drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. You've got to understand what was going on here. This was, this, was, this was something that was happening at night. Judas said, the one that I kiss, he's the one, sees him. But the word kiss there is not a word like you kiss your child on the forehead. It's, it's like a kiss of passion. He must have grabbed Jesus' face and, you know, one cheek, the other cheek, one cheek, the other cheek, and just so passionate. And Jesus would say, Wow, you betray me with a kiss? And this wasn't a small group. Historic writings say that there were some 600 people that came up. He's up at the garden. He's praying. And then all these temple guards, temple security, these chief priests, these scribes, grabbing clubs and, and, and swords and, and the torches. And they're coming up. Picture this at night. If you've ever been to Israel and you're on the Mount of Olives and you look down to the Kidron Valley up into the Temple Mount, you see this, this fire line coming up like a fiery serpent up the hill coming to get Jesus. And they've got their, their, their swords and their clubs and their torches. And if you guys remember the story, they said, Jesus, comes, Jesus says to them, whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And they all fell down. Some 600 guys rolling around in the fire and the torches just all, you know, freaking out. And then they stand up again and, and he goes, who do you seek? I, I imagine they were a little sheepish. Uh, Jesus of Nazareth? And Peter, being asleep, wakes up out of a slumber and has a sword and he hacks off this guy's ear. Now, I got to think he was aiming for his head, right? And Jesus does the unthinkable, reaches down, grabs that ear, and puts it back on. I kind of wish Peter would have hit his mark, right? I mean, think about that. If he just lopped his head off and Jesus goes, give me that thing, give me that back there. Let's put that back. There you go, buddy. And then they arrested him. And he said to them, Jesus answered, he said to them, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? 
I was daily with you in the temple teaching you, and you did not seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. He says, what you guys are doing, you're like thieves in the night right now. I haven't done anything wrong, and you know it. And you were there during the day when I was teaching. Why didn't you get me then? Because the crowd would have overthrew them. They came up like these thieves, and they've got their swords, and they got their clubs, and, and then it says, all forsook, forsook him. All his disciples ran, but there was one that was still hanging out, and that was Mark, and he was about 12 years old at that time. It says, then they all forsook him, and they fled, and a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left in a linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, it's funny, um, Mark writes the Gospel Mark, but he's kind of getting it from Peter. Peter kind of just gives the accounts of everything. And so Mark just kind of inserts this little thing about himself right here that in a sense, he's like, I don't know if I would have put that in there. I mean, um, you know, I would have said, yeah, I saw Jesus rise from the dead, you know, I mean, uh, but he inserts that he was like the last guy standing and they laid hands on him and he managed to wig it out, but he, they tore his clothes off and he ran away naked. First streaker. And then they led Jesus away to the high priest and with him were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him from a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants, and he warmed himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and all of the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. They're misquoting him. That's not what he said. He was referring to this temple. He said, I'll I'll destroy this temple. Jesus has the power to lay down his life and to take it up. No man will take that away from him. And so they misquote him here. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, Do you answer nothing? What is it that these men testify against you? But he kept silent and he answered nothing. And again the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the, of the power and the coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and he said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You've heard the blasphemy. What do do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. Then some began to spit on him and blindfold him and to beat him and say, Prophesy. And uh, uh, some of the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. This was a full nightmare court. This was a kangaroo court. Everything about this was wrong. They took him at night like thieves. They brought him before all the leaders and the elders and the religious rulers, but you weren't supposed to have court at night. They're breaking all their own rules. You weren't supposed to try somebody during the Passover. You weren't supposed to try someone for murder during the feasts. 
You weren't supposed to try somebody for murder and make a decision right then and there. You were to, if everybody agreed he should be put to death, then they would go home and for 24 hours pray and seek the Lord and come back and see if they still had that same determination. You couldn't hold a trial like this without being in the, court, in the hall of the hewn stone. They weren't there. This trial's at night. They didn't have any witnesses that agreed with them. Everything was wrong. They just wanted them dead. But the problem is, Rome wasn't going to put them to death for what he was standing up to be. And they knew that they had to somehow get Rome to look at him as an insurrectionist so Rome would put him to death because they didn't have any grounds. And even Pilate would say, I don't see any fault with him. And you guys know the story. They beat him. They tortured him. They put a bag over his head and punched him. They, would, they ripped his beard out. What they would do is they would take a stick and they would twist it into the beard and then pull it. They beat him so bad, Isaiah says, you couldn't even tell who he was. You couldn't tell. They whipped him with a cat of nine tails 39 times. All these different leather straps with metal and glass and hooks, and, and they would lay it across your back and then pull it up fast, and it would just tear at the skin and the flesh. And the first 10 lashes would open up the skin, and the second 10 lashes would get through to the muscle and the third ten would start to get into the inwards. And many of men never even left that spot. They would strap them over a stone so they were pulled and stretched across, kind of like if a tarp was stretched as tight as it was and you put a knife in it, it would split and rip. And Jesus didn't make a sound. He took it all for you. See, see the more that they hit you, they expect you to confess to more crimes. And the more that you confess to more crimes, then they lighten up. But he didn't have anything to confess to. And so they kept getting harder and harder and harder. Pilate tried to get him released, but the crowd was determined to let Barabbas go. The religious rulers had infiltrated the crowd and encouraged them to say, we want Barabbas released. Crucify Jesus. And you guys know the story. And so I want to kind of just share seven things that Jesus said from the cross while He was there. And you have to look at all the Gospels in order to get a good picture of everything that was said because you don't get it just from reading one Gospel. But the first thing that Jesus said, no doubt as they were nailing Him to the cross, was forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Wow, is that our God? Wow. To come into a world that you created and to have your own creation put you to death. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. As he was hanging on the cross, all the guys dug out. All the disciples were gone, except John. John was there. But it was all the women. The women loved Jesus so much, they weren't afraid of anything. They would die for Jesus. They were all surrounding the cross. And Jesus, while He's hanging on the cross, not even thinking of Himself, He looks down and He says in John 19.26 to Mary, He says, Woman, behold your Son. 
And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. He wanted to make sure she was taken care of. And John had the awesome responsibility of being with Mary until the day she died to take care of her and to treat her as his own mother. And Jesus commissioned him to that. While all the other apostles were going out, spreading the gospel, John was faithful. And, and I thought to myself, maybe that's why John lived so long. To make up for the time of just taking care of Mary out of love and then being able to spend the same amount of time the other apostles had to go out and give the gospel. Jesus, what a heart. And then the third thing we see in Luke 23, 43 we see Jesus was crucified between two thieves. And these two thieves were rotten. And they deserved to be there. And they railed on Jesus. They railed on Him and they mocked Him. And it's like, oh, you know. And the one, one of them's like, yeah, well, if you're really God, get me down from here. And then, yeah, then I'll follow you. Doesn't that sound like man? Yeah, Jesus, this Jesus you're talking about? Well, if He just do a miracle, then I'll follow Him. If he just fixed my situation, yeah, I'll follow him. If he just allow me to make a lot of money, then I'll follow him. And these two thieves were just railing on him and railing on him and railing on him. And then finally one of them gets some clarity. And I think the one probably got clarity when he was listening because the, the original language implies that Jesus was over and over saying, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. And to be in that position... And all of a sudden, this thief gets clarity. He says, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Isn't that cool? That is, wow. Talk about getting in at the last minute. You know what's really cool about that? Jesus saw his heart. You're like, you might be going like, hey, wait, wait, wait. He didn't say the sinner's prayer. I don't remember the altar call. Does he know the four spiritual laws? This is, hey, wait, wait. This guy's got to be baptized. He never gave it to church. I don't think he ever read his Bible. He's going to get in? Yeah. Because you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith. And though he didn't pray a sinner's prayer, the Bible says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It's the heart. It's when the heart's transformed. Because you can say a prayer and not even mean it. Did your heart, is there proof? Is there transformation? There was transformation on the cross. He looked at this other guy and he goes, hey, we deserve to be here, but this one doesn't. And he said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, surely I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. That was somewhere between 9 o'clock and 12 o'clock because when 12 o'clock hit, darkness went upon the whole world. Now, obviously half the world was already in darkness, but the other half was in, supposed to be in sunlight. And historic writings make record of everybody talking about this day that it went dark for three hours. And, and notice how God uses high noon because that's when it's the brightest in Israel. So he's like, he's like we'll just take the sun away and get your attention. And I believe that it was at that time that all the sin of the world was being poured on them. 
from the past, the present, and the future. All the sin of all mankind for the last, all these years. I mean, it, man's been around for 6,000 years. And how, how much longer will we be going until the Lord comes for us? And think about all that sin. I, you know, I, I can't even handle my sin. I can't imagine having all your sin dumped on me too. I mean, think about that. What would that be like? Just, I mean, the emotions and just the, wow. But that's what happened. And when this time took place in Matthew 27, 46, Jesus said, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why would he say that? He's quoting Psalm 22. Psalm 22 that was written some thousand years beforehand. Back in a time when there wasn't crucifixion. Capital punishment was stoning. And it describes crucifixion in Psalm 22. And it talks about all the things. Nailing him. It talks about what he was going through. It, it, it just describes completely. And it starts out with, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why would Jesus say that to the Father? Because for the first time in eternity... The Father had to turn His back on sin as all the sin of the world, past, present, and future, is dumped on Jesus. And Jesus never had that separation from the Father. He didn't really, he couldn't, couldn't, it was just overwhelming to experience separation from the Father for a time being as the sin is poured on Him. And as you read Psalm 22, what you see is that this spiritual darkness surrounding the cross. You see, you see demonic beings surrounding the cross. You see the bulls of Bashan, the giants that, that from the floods and the demonic beings, and, and it says that they were roaring like lions and, and their mouths were gaping. It was like they were just circling around the cross and just ah, you know, and Satan had to have been there, and they were thinking, We did it, we stopped him, we killed the Messiah. And then there was an earthquake. And the veil ripped in two. And I think they all went, oops. Because they were blinded to what was really going on and they actually helped Jesus complete what He was going to do. By messing with the hearts of men. And Jesus, hanging on that cross in three hours of darkness, coming to 3 o'clock, and all of a sudden, he starts to thirst. He's trying to speak. And when he said, Eli, Eli, lama the sabbathani, some of them thought he was crying for Elijah. But he, 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 they wanted to let Elijah come. Then, and somebody said, let's put some vinegar to his mouth so he can, he can speak. And we want to hear what he's trying to say. And, and so it says in Psalm 22 that his tongue was stuck to his jaw because there's this dehydration and you're trying to push yourself up to get a breath. It was like a slow death. The most violent uh, type of murder that you can do to somebody is crucifixion and his, his jaws locked, his tongue stuck. And so they put up some vinegar to his mouth and he, he takes it in and it loosens his tongue and with a loud voice he shouts, it is finished. You, that's, you should clap right there. <laughs> it is finished. He didn't say, good luck. He didn't say, I did my part. 
He said, it is finished. If anybody ever tells you you're saved by faith and something else, get away from them. It's faith and faith alone. He finished it. He paid the price to tell us die at the cross for you and me. Amen? And then in Luke 23, 46, he said, Father, into your hands I commit, commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. Nobody took his life. He had the power to lay it down. He had the power to bring it back up. And he says, when it's all done, when it is finished, when the job was done, I'm coming home. Because this home is, this place is not my home. And it's not your home either. We're pilgrims passing through. Jesus is the creator of all things. Colossians tells us this, Colossians 1.16, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things consist. He did it all. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the Alpha, the Omega. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. He created everything. It was all made by Him and for Him, and He's holding it all together. That's what that means. It all consists. It, by Him, it consists. He's holding everything together. And you know, it's a lot harder to hold something together than it is to let it go. Scientists have learned that with atomic structure. They, they study the atom. They can't figure it out, right? And, and they look into an atom, and you can't do it with a normal microscope. You've got to have the super whatever microscope, but everything is made up of atoms, and atoms is the smallest thing. Inside an atom is a nucleus, and in the nucleus is neutrons, protons, and then circling around it is electrons. But did you know that the atom is mostly space? It's mostly space. You have atoms. Everything we ha see is atoms. The whole earth, if you took all the space out of the atoms that make up the earth, it would be, the earth would be the size of a softball. What you, what you experience is electrical field. Scientists say it's almost as, it's, as if everything is just a thought in God's mind. They're getting it. But when you look at the atom, that in the center is the neutrons and the protons, and the protons are all packed together, but that shouldn't be that way because they're a positive force. They should be repelling. And the electrons are circling around, and they're a, they're a negative force. They should be collapsing. Because if you ever played with a magnet, and you try to put the two positive ends together, they push apart. But if you flip one side to the negative, boom, they stick right together. So the, the scientists can't figure it out. Why are all these protons staying together? They should blow apart, and the electrons should collapse right into them. And so they came up with this amazing theory, atomic glue. They don't know what it means. They don't know why it does what it does, but they just, they just call it atomic glue. That's crazy. If you take one gram of protons, one gram, a pound is 154 grams. You take one 154, you take one gram, it's about this big, one gram of protons, and you put it on the North Pole, and then you take another gram of protons 8,000 miles away and put it on the South Pole, you will need 50,000 pounds of weight to hold those one grams that are 8,000 miles away from each other to keep them from blowing apart. It says, He was before all things and in all, in all things. 
He's holding them together. That's mind-blowing. So you've got to ask yourself, what's holding it all together? Well, excuse me. Jesus. Let me read you something from, um, from 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Get that? A great noise. And the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Did you, did you hear that? With a fervent heat. It, it, it will, it will dissolve. It'll, it'll melt. It, the word that's being used there is it'll be loosened. It'll be loose. That's the word in the Greek, loosen. Jesus is holding it all together, but one day he's going to let it go and it's going to blow with a loud noise, it says here. So the big bang's at the end. It's not in the beginning. The big bang comes at the end. And then with, with there's, there's, wow. I, I, and everything's going to burn up. And he's going to wipe out the heavens and the earth. And he's going to make a new heavens and a new earth. Therefore, since these things will be dissolved what manner of persons ought you to be because of all that he's done for you, because of all this, because he's holding it all together, what kind of person should you be? What kind of Christian should you be? Maybe you're here today and you just feel like everything's falling apart in your life. Everything's just going haywire. Who do you think's holding you together? Jesus. And he held you together enough to get you here tonight to hear these promises. To hear about these things that he's done, we've got a lot to celebrate about. We're passing through. We're on our way out of here. Right now, all he wants us to do is to get the gospel out and share the love of God with everybody around because there's a world out there hurting and God is only allowing these unbelievers to be held together so they can get the gospel and be transformed. He's holding everything together. Kind of like that song. He's got the whole world in his hands. Amen. And I just want to encourage you today. We're going to partake of communion in a second. and The band would come up. I just want to encourage you today. As crazy as it may seem right now for you, I don't know your circumstances. But get your eyes on Jesus. Because He's holding you together. And His promise is that He's going to see you to the finish line. That's the good news. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you um, for the reminder. We thank you for your love. And, and Lord, if there by chance be someone here that doesn't know you, if that's you today, and, and maybe you're, you just realize it, it's hitting you hard right now, and you want to ask Jesus in your life, just, just pray in your heart right now. Lord, forgive me of my sins. I've sinned against you. And I realize that you died for my sins because you loved me so much. And Lord, I ask you right now that you, who created everything, the only one that has eternal life, that can grant eternal life, I, I pray that you would save me now. Be my Lord, my Savior, my King. If you just prayed that in your heart right now, you're a child of God. It's that simple. Accepting the gift. Now live for Him. Let the Holy Spirit guide you and speak to you. we got a lot of work to do. Jesus is coming really soon. Time's short. We need to be about the Father's business. 
And so before you come up for communion, I, I want you just to take a moment and just, you know what? Ask Jesus for more. More of Him. More hunger for His Word. More hunger and desire to serve Him. More, just, just ask for it all. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to be used by Him in a mighty, powerful way. So just take a time and pray and then come forward and we're going to partake up here together.